0: In today's podcast, we talked to guest Brian Cantrell. Brian's vision and belief is hardware and software should each be built with each other in mind. We discussed the benefits of doing so. Brian is a great leader, and he has put together a phenomenal team. We all know leading and maintaining a talented team is a big challenge. Brian has been extremely successful in doing just that. One of the highlights of this show is Brian's insight into building team culture within a company and the hiring process to foster that. He also has some great advice for young professionals who may be thinking of getting into the tech world.
1: Welcome to the show, Brian. Great. Thanks for having me. Brian, why don't you kick this off by what is Oxide Computing Computers all about? Uh, What are some some of the efforts you're leading at Oxide.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the observation that, that we had had from running our own infrastructure on prem um, was that the, the the existing computer companies were really designed around a much earlier era uh, and really reflected the PC era computing. Uh, And um, as we worked for Joyen, I was the CTO of Joyen, we were acquired by Samsung and did a huge build out at Samsung. And one of the things that we really acutely uh, um, wished for was the infrastructure that the hyperscalers had built for themselves. And if you look at the kind of infrastructure that Google or or Facebook or Amazon have built for themselves, um, it's um, infrastructure that it, it, anyone would want, um, but it's it's really hard to buy um, because they've really designed it for themselves, and, and and they have described what they've done. I mean, it, it's not like they've done anything that is overly proprietary necessarily. Um, it's just that the, those machines are not available um, for people to be able to buy, and so our realization was um, we, we we actually. Uh, need to go take a swing at this problem. We wanted to go become a computer company, sell the rack scale designs um, that are designed, co-designed with the system software. So including the hypervisor, including the control plane, uh, allowing you to buy a rack of compute, um, plug it in, turn it on and provision and go. So that's the vision. Um, It's very early.
1: So, you know, you talked about a little bit about the problem that these uh, computer infrastructures miss, what are some considerations that they actually miss uh, that you guys are addressing with your at scale solution?
2: Um, well, in terms of the, the existing companies are, and it's, this is, again, this is not really a criticism of them per se, it's just that they're really designed to, to each of those machines is designed to live on its own. Each, you know, a two U server is designed to live as a single two U server. It's not really designed to be part of a broader cloud. Um, and it's certainly not designed with the, it's not co-designed with the software that's going to run on it. Um, that machine is designed to run anybody's system software. Um, and as a result, there's a bit of a lowest common denominator there. We saw an opportunity to take a, a cleaner sheet of paper and really design a machine that is is designed to, to be in a rack scale design, designed for elastic deployments, designed around the hypervisor that's going to run on it. Um, what we saw is, is a vision that I would say is broadly shared by those who have tried to uh, endure setting up a cloud on existing become um, the, the, the existing server ecosystem we believe that more and more people are going to hit this point where they realize that um, they need to be running on on their own computers not as an indictment of the public cloud public cloud is terrific um, just as an economic reality
1: let's say I face a dilemma that what I'm about to produce, is going to have some sort of a negative impact, you know, delaying democracy in the case of Iowa caucus. Um, You know, is it a team responsibility or is it a more individual responsibility or is it leadership, management?
2: Well, it's all of the above. And it's certainly, ultimately, leadership has to be held responsible. Um, Management has to be held responsible. And that is what sets the tone. Um, and, you know, we've seen time and time again, that when management doesn't set the tone, um, that is when, um, when malfeasance happens, um, for trying to find a softer word, but that's the reality of it. Um, in terms of it, you know, if you're an individual software engineer, um, what's your role? Well, you, you know, you've got a responsibility to, try to change things the right way certainly i would not you know encourage software engineers to be unnecessarily incendiary but if you can't change things um the right way then you've got a responsibility to uh, you probably have a responsibility to leave honestly um that you've got a um but you, you should also consider what uh if i mean if something is is happening that is wrong, um, you do have a responsibility to do something about it um, and to, um, you know, seek the counsel of those around you for certain, but um, don't underestimate the power of a single individual. Um, I think that, you know. Uh, you just be it, it, it's apropos because her, her book is just out but you look at the at what Susan Fowler did at Uber um, Susan Fowler single-handedly changed the trajectory of Uber um, now she changed the trajectory of Uber um, not because she underwent some Herculean task, although maybe that as well, but because she spoke a, a truth that had many deep manifestations, a a, 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 management culture that was very badly off track. And, you know, you, if you go back and read Susan Fowler's piece, you know, my, my one strange year at Uber, um, That piece is so galling in so many different dimensions. Um, And there's a lot, you know, that's an interesting story in that she was very clearly trying to get things uh, addressed the right way. And she was in a company that was so deeply and profoundly broken that even the mechanisms to solve that, namely H.R., were operating um, at. We're operating in a way that was at cross purposes with uh, actually developing human resources at the company. Um, so it, it's pretty galling what happened to her. But the solace to take from it is that one blog entry changed that company. Um, One blog entry got the CEO fired. I got a new CEO in um, who is, is, is affecting a cultural change or trying to affect a cultural change at a company that was culturally very, very, very far off track. Um, So I think as software engineers, you know, don't forget that power. Um, And um, if you are, um, you know, if you're a part of something that's a little bit off track, you need to work to get it back on track. And if you're working to get it back on track and it's not getting back on track or it's very deeply, badly off track, then it, then it's time to consider, you know, that you, you have other tools at your disposal. And again, not encouraging everyone to blog every problem they have internally, um, but don't take that option off the table.
1: Brian has been a leader, um, VP of engineering, CTO for over a decade. Then we come back. We're gonna dive into his leadership insights that he can share with us.
0: I am interrupting this engaging conversation to tell you about ModeStack, a digital product agency that makes this podcast possible. Struggling with staff and not sure how to get ahead? Keep hearing about the cloud and how it can change your team? Have an application that you invested lots of money and haven't seen growth? These are all questions that our team has worked on answering for years. Learn more at modestack.com let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So Brian, tell us, you know, when you lead a team, obviously it's very, you know, hopefully it's diverse, you know, set of engineers, younger and older. Now, you know, you've got more, you know, these coding schools are, you know, people who are graduating from these coding schools. What would be your advice when they join, you know, as a software engineer or developer, you know, as part of a bigger team? What how what, what where where do you think they should start? and what what would be some insights that you could share?
2: Uh, to, so insights to a, to a younger software engineer That's right. Uh, you know I think that I'm a big believer in intrinsic motivation. Um, I think that there is, you know, we've been in a long, long boom, um, not unrelated to software eating the world. Um, and it has led to, um, people being drawn to software for different reasons, to put it euphemistically. And I, I think that it's unfortunate because I think that, that, I mean, I like, look bluntly, uh, people have gotten way too caught up in compensation. And, um, it, you know, this, I'm sure the, the people will, will, I'm sure this will um, raise some hackles. But um, I think that there's a real danger in fixating on compensation in any domain. Um, money is fine, uh, it's important. Um, it, there's a certain level of obviously happiness that it affords, but the, the why of your endeavor should not be, uh, should not orbit around the financial compensation. Um, there, there should be a deeper purpose to what you're doing and you should go find, you know, if, if you're a software engineer and kind of starting your career, um, you know, you're in a domain where you're going to be able to put food on the table. We're all very fortunate in that regard, and um, you know, even a, a a poorly compensated software engineer is tremendously well compensated relative to other domains. Um, it's not, I don't know that that will last forever, but that's certainly a luxury we have now. That gives us all the luxury to find things that are meaningful to us. And I think it's very important that software engineers find a larger mission that is meaningful to them. Um, and that they, they treat compensation as one part of a much larger tapestry of motivation. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm personally, for me, it is about, it's about mission. It's about team. It's about problem. Um, those are the things that I am drawn to. Um, and I would recommend, you know, there are many times when, uh, I mean, I certainly, certainly with the benefit of hindsight, um, you know, could have done different things in my career um to uh to optimize for compensation. Um I don't regret at all having optimized my career for mission, team, and problem. Um and not again, not that I have, you know, I've gone hungry um by any means. Um but Um, by optimizing my career for mission, team, and problem, I have had a, and continue to enjoy a, not just a fulfilling career, which is important to me, but also um, I have gravitated to people who share my values. Um, And, you know, if you uh, look at when people are, uh, are happiest in their career versus unhappiest in their career, it almost never has to do with compensation. So I think that this can be hard to do today, because again, you've got people tweeting out their salaries and so on, which I think is a huge mistake. Um, because I think it, it just orients people Incorrectly. And again, that's not to make light of of issues where you've got really serious disparities in compensation that are unjust, but um, I think we have overly fixated on compensation.
1: You know, during the interview process, you know, uh, values are such a key thing. You, you know, you talked about, you know, your mission being problem solving. That's kind of what motivated you to be in this, in this space. As someone who's interviewing a candidate, perhaps you know what would be, what are ways to determine this, right? Um, You know, maybe obviously money is a motivating factor, but hopefully that's not the end all for this candidate. You know, what are some subtle ways? You know, we we focus largely on technical questions and things like that in the interview you know, what are some ways to determine this as part of the interview process, maybe as part of working together? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty
2: easy, actually, in that um, you just need to ask, there's some really simple questions to ask. Um, and so what we do is we actually, um, we're a bit idiosyncratic. But we ask people to answer um, certain questions in writing. Um, and so we ask, I, I think that you know, the interview process is pretty fundamentally broken at many companies. Um, I think that the interview process selects for one's ability to take an oral exam and it selects for one's ability to, uh, to master a conversation. And those attributes are actually not necessarily the attributes that make a successful software engineer. Um, and, um, you know, this was, I uh, hit home for me very early in my career when um, I, we were going to, a uh, person I, I personally went to college with who I thought would make a terrific fit um, at, at Sun, where I was at the time. And we brought him out to interview. And I had worked with the guy, I knew he was terrific. Um, And after the end of the interviews, people were like, "I don't know. He just seems to be kind of I don't know. Like you say, he's good, but so you know, I think if you if you think we should hire him, we should hire him. But I don't know. I wasn't very impressed. And what I realized is that like he was really nervous in the interviews, really nervous. And what they were getting in those interviews, they were not the individual that I knew. I knew him at a much deeper level because I worked with him and. I'm like, well, yeah, we need to hire him, (laughs) and we hired him, and he was a really, you know, he uh, ended up being an incredibly important engineer for the company, Um, and um, to the point that I I think that all those folks would have even denied that they were even ambivalent about hiring him, but it's because we were interviewing for these very surface criteria. We weren't getting to any of these deeper things, and over my career, I tried various things to, uh, how do you kind of probe to these deeper things? Uh, And what I've arrived at is pretty basic, which is to, uh, one, ask people questions in advance that they write down the answers to. So everyone is seeing the same answers. And then you're using these written materials as a way of actually determining who you do interview um, you don't interview someone based on their resume. You interview someone based on their, on what they've done, their portfolio of work, um, and how they uh, the, the materials they present to you. So the, the questions we asked one, we asked you know we ask people to provide work samples because I think the work samples are much uh, a much more important indicator of what you've actually done than your ability to master red black trees on a whiteboard. So we ask people to provide a portfolio of their work. We asked them to provide um, examples of, uh, of analysis where they've analyzed problems. We've asked them to provide um, uh, writing samples. Show me some technical writing. Maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's a, 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 a comment and code, but show me some technical writing. Um, give me a link to a presentation if you've done that. Um, not that everyone has, but if you have. And again, not to, you know, presentations can get engineers very far out of their comfort zone, but it's just helpful to get to know somebody. So yeah, we ask for that portfolio of work, which we think is important. Um, But then we ask simple probing questions. So uh, when were you happiest in your career and why? Uh, Which is a very basic question. And it's... uh, And the answers are really interesting. When were you unhappiest in your career and why? Um, And again, we get a a bunch of very uh, interesting answers there. Um, Then we ask people questions that are relative to our values at Oxide. And One of the things that I would really strongly encourage any company to do is uh, to figure out write down the values that bind the company. Um, and uh, I think that companies are, are ultimately bound by shared values. Um, and I think it's very important to write those down. So that's something we did extremely early at Oxide, is we wrote down the 15 values that, that bind us together and we're not trying to, you're not trying to find values that you that you aspire to you want to find values that actually reflect you um because you you're, you're trying to, to reflect the, the soul of the company um not define something that kind of feels virtuous if you, if that distinction makes sense and so our values which are and I'll rattle them off because we ask everyone to memorize them um candor courage curiosity diversity, empathy, humor, optimism, resiliency, rigor, responsibility, teamwork, transparency, thriftiness, urgency, and versatility, 15 values. Wow. Um, and we ask people to, um, well, for one, take one of these values and describe when they were particularly expressed in your career. Um, then we say, take one of these values and describe when they were they were particularly violated in your career and how you dealt with that. Th- that's very interesting. And then the one that we that we threw on there that has uh, turned out to be really interesting is um, you know, the thing about values is values are disjoint from principles. Um, so um, principles are, should be the constraints of operations. So I should say that on Oxide we also have principles. Our principles are honesty, integrity, decency. Those are our principles. And if you violate a principle, you can't work here anymore. So it's not a, it's not a gray area, right? It's not something that you can take to a fault. Someone is not honest to a fault or has integrity to a fault. That doesn't make sense. Right? Right. So honesty, integrity, decency, or, you know, you, you don't say to someone, you know what their problem is, they're far too decent. It's like, no, that doesn't exist. So those are principles. Values come in the tension, values are not absolute values can be taken to an extreme where they become counterproductive values as a result are in tension with one another and um what we ask people to do is for these 15 values pick two of them that have come into tension in your career and describe that tension and how you resolved it so then we take uh, we, we go one step even further so we ask people to write this stuff down. Um, the answer is- This incre- is your
1: uh, leadership team during the value storming phase? No,
2: no, no. This is anyone who wants to work at Oxide.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
2: You, 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 you cannot work at Oxide without first, in fact, you won't be interviewed. The, the, the first step in the hiring process is for you to provide a portfolio of your work and answer those questions Got in writing.
1: Where did, where did those 15 come from? Where did they begin? They, we developed those
2: principles in about forty-five minutes, um, and that was the really the three of us just sitting down and writing down our shared values. It really is that simple. Again, it's because you're not trying to come up to some virtues to aspire to. These aren't virtues. They are, you're not talking about, and I think, God, it drives me nuts when people conflate values with virtues and they basically, their values are to be, you know, to do good things or to generate excellent product or to, you know, or, or or to, you know, love
1: our customers. Like that's a virtue, not a value. Um, And I mean, in other words, something that's aspirational would be more virtuous, Hey. Yeah, it's something that like you can't argue against.
2: You you want your your values to express those things that are important to you that may that maybe are more important to you than they are to other people. They set they set you apart at some level. I mean, your values should be at some level a fingerprint for you, and um, what you're looking for in a company. Are folks that share those same value fingerprints, and then you've got things that that are not going to be necessarily shared values. Where you want it, you you're going to want to um, have you know diversity of thought and perspective, and so on. But you, um, it, I, it, I think, it's entirely reasonable to look for homogeneity in shared values and have those shared values be deeply shared and deeply held. So it's, it should be an easy exercise to figure them out. Um, because all you're doing is writing them down, right? What's important to you? You know, what are the things that are important to you? And, um, you know, I suppose with someone who's not introspective, I don't know, maybe that would be longer, but for the three of us, um, that was, it was quick. (laughs) Um, and we, we, uh, I, you know, we, I think we, like I said, we burned down in 45 minutes. I think we may over the, the, the span of the next like day or two, I think we may have added a couple that we'd forgotten or we realized that like, Hey, you know, I've been thinking of this one and, you know, boy, we really have uh, this value that we haven't expressed there. Um, and then you can say like, well, you know, what about this value? And then you realize, you know, no, know, like, this is expressed elsewhere in this list.
1: You know, so, this is amazing, like you're literally these are things that business coaches talk about you know when they to with leadership you know here you are a cTO who's leading a team with these almost like a business coach maybe this is a separate podcast episode by itself someday you know <laughs> yeah well, and I, which
2: I guess Stop. i'm just I, there's a level which I just don't understand how because like honestly like look oxide is not. The, the, the fact that we have clearly elucidated values is not designed to differentiate oxide from every other computer on the planet, or every other company on the planet, right. it, but somehow it has, <laughs> um, you know, I, I and I, I guess I don't, I don't get that to, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that this is kind of like has historically been in kind of the, do, the domain and you look at like, you know, these coaches that all are basically saying the same thing. It's like, it's not, it's not that complicated, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I don't know, but I guess it's, you know, it's, it's driving to the core of who we are and what we're about. And those can be, I don't know, scary things to kind of contemplate, I guess.
1: That's exactly right. That's the sense I'm getting that this is at the core of oxide and that's really your identity for oxide and for the folks who work there. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the values are the core of who we are. No question. And, and, and,
2: you know, we, um, it, part of the reason we ask everyone to, uh, memorize the values is because we want to, we want to use the values as a lens to, to, by which to see and guide future endeavor, you know, when we make decisions, it, because we, it's very important that people are, decisions are made by everybody in a company all the time. You know, one of the the lines that a senior engineer gave to me when I was a younger engineer that always stuck with me is every line of code is a business decision, which is true, right? And that's really deep when you think about it, that that every line of code that you're doing or not doing is a business decision. Everybody in a company is making those decisions. And how do you make sure that People are making the, the a decision that is, you know, the right decision in the, in the, for a very loose and abstract definition of right absent the, you know, the CEO, <laughs> um, and in a, in a, a culture where people are empowered to make those kinds of decisions, how do you make sure that they are consistent with one another? And the way to do that is to have shared values. Because those values will help guide those decisions, and not that, not that everyone will agree with one another. Certainly not, but they you're much less likely to have these deep fractures that are ultimately value based fractures.
1: You know what are um, some books or podcasts or you know recommendations you you would have for? You know, more predominantly technology team uh, to learn about this. Um, you know, where I'm sure you've learned from various sources. Where could you point our? Answers? Boy, I wish I had learned from sources. I only learned the
2: hard way, having been in organizations where that were operating across purposes with one another and so on, um, and then seeing that broadly in the industry. Um, so, I mean, at the risk of being self centered, I, I think that the, the resource that I would point people to is actually a talk that I gave, um, at a conference called Monktoberfest, one of my favorite conferences several years ago, um, on the principles of technology leadership. Um, and this is a talk, I was very, uh, trolled by Amazon's 14 leadership principles, um, for lots of reasons. One, they're not principles. Uh, two, they're barely values, some of them. Um, the And I um, I was angrily tweeting out that my frustration at them. And the organizer for the conference is like, hey, is that your talk submission for this year's Monktoberfest? And I realized, like, hey, again, maybe it is. Um, and they had me give this talk. And it's a talk that's really important to me. Uh, it's the only talk that I've given that I've asked my family to watch. Um, because I think it gets to the core of not just who I am, but who we should all aspire to, uh, uh, what I aspire to be. Um, and so in terms of like things that have influenced me and I kind of go into this in the, in that talk, um, you know, honestly, it's, it's the Declaration of Independence. It's Martin Luther King. It's, uh, you know, it, it, things that are much grander than than merely developing software at some level. But these are people that are speaking to uh, you, Deeply held principles and values. Uh, you know, I, I, in that talk, I I quote from um, from the Gettysburg Address, which you know, you, boy, go reread the Gettysburg Address, go reread the Declaration of Independence, go reread the you know MLK's I Have a Dream speech. Um, those are what my influences personally, um, and um, I, I think that we have we've done a poor job in software engineering. Um, of being um, guided by, um, in in Lincoln's words, the better angels of our nature. Uh, I think that we have uh, too often not sought the higher meaning of of what we're doing, um, and I think it's had consequences. I think that you know, I think people are. Bluntly, I think people get caught up on compensation because they're not finding other sources of satisfaction in their work. Um, I think that part of the, I think that there's a pandemic of burnout in software engineering. I think that's related to people not having higher a not feeling a a, a broader purpose in their endeavor. Um, so I, I and I think that what some of the generational angst that we see is people not finding or feeling that 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 uh, deeper sense of purpose so I think it's really really important um, and I guess we had a long way to answer your question about the sources that have inspired me no this is uh, great
1: yeah but uh, hope,
2: uh, hopefully my talk can serve to inspire others um, and I, I think that it's you know in some regards I you know I'm I'm obviously I'm, I'm I feel I've made a lot of technical contributions that are important Um, If I can get other organizations to think about the the soul of their endeavor to answer the question of why, um, I think that that could potentially be a much more uh, important impact that I can have um, on the way we, we do software engineering.
1: Great. Um, you know, you talked about a conference in particular, you know, what are some upcoming conferences that you plan to, you know, perhaps some speaking engagements that you can share with our listeners?
2: You know, I am I am pretty heads down right now. Uh, even this podcast is a bit of an exception for me. Um, we are really, you know, we've got a, a, a new company here. We got a product to build. We got a lot of work to do. I am really, really, really focused on it. So um, I'll be at the Open Compute Summit. Very much looking forward to that. It's, but that's very much a a conference that's very much in line with what we're doing. We're gonna have the whole team out for that. Um, so really focused on what we're doing at Oxide. Um, that said. One of the things that we've done that has been a lot of fun is um, we've developed our own podcast on the metal um, where we have conversations with folks doing interesting work at the hardware software interface. And that has been uh, really fun. So if, if people are interested in getting kind of my, uh, my perspective on things or really the perspectives of these other folks that would, that we're, we're interviewing or get to know my co-founders, um, that would be the way to do it. Um, we just wrapped up our, our first season of on the metal, but, um, we've got, uh, there's a lot of interest in it and the second season will definitely be forthcoming.
1: Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure talking with you and I, I think, really hit home on some of the values versus principles, as well as, you know, some advice for younger developers that are seeking employment. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.